to Totalus Rankium. This week, Ronald Reagan. And welcome to American Presidents Totalis Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the presidents from Washington to Biden. And this is episode 40.140, Jamie. Point Ooh. one. Which means this is possibly the 80th episode we've done. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. I always think of the Roman one as being really long, and this one being the short one. But that's still a lot, isn't it? Nope. Anyway, it's Ronald Reagan, part one of three. Three? Yes, that is right. We are doing three parts on Reagan. Ooh. There's no way I was getting all this in, <laughs> part, in two parts. So Nice. There we go. Right. Um, and uh, even though it's three parts, there's quite a lot to pack in today. So let's let's jump right in, shall we? Yeah. Um, I'll give you a softball. Go on. Apparently, apparently it's a game. Is it literally a softball? No, no, I'm not that nice. No. Um, or okay. Me. Uh, a, a, a cowboy on a horse. A cowboy on a horse? How on earth am I going to fit this one in, Jamie? I don't know. Okay, so start with that Western's theme music. Just a sort of whistle. And, yeah, there we go. And uh, just a hoof appears in shot. And then as the camera pans out slightly, it's just a lonely cowboy. Evening, man. Riding through the plains. He's got his hat on. He's oh. got his suede jacket on. Um, nice. Yeah. Riding his way through yeah. the Californian desert. Yeah, yeah, just like that. Yeah. Uh, all, all the Western music's going on, and then suddenly, from nowhere, Jamie, a dinosaur comes in. Ah! And eats the cowboy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, just in one big, like, Jurassic Park off the toilet gulp. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and then someone shouts, cut, and then <laughs> it pans back, and you realise, you're on a set. Oh. You're on a set, and the, <laughs> the cowboy who was eaten, like, yeah. climbs out, but then the dinosaur takes his head off, <gasps> and then who's who's in the dinosaur suit? Yes, that's right. It's a young Ronald Reagan. Oh. And uh, he just lights up a cigarette and passes it to the cowboy, and uh, they they talk about the union strikes. Ooh! And then Ronald Reagan hits the screen in Western font, <whistles> and then a big dinosaur chunk comes out, isn't it? <laughs> so there we go. Nice. Yeah, I, I like seeing directors very because this isn't in the bloody script. What's going on? <laughs> Reagan was known for <laughs> putting on a dinosaur suit and just crashing over movies. That's what he used to do. Yeah, Star Wars. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Ah, oh, Jamie, we're getting... I know we keep saying this. We need to stop saying it at some mm. point, but we're getting very modern. What do you know about Reagan? Um, actor. I know he kind of shaped the Republican Party to kind of what it is now, what it was maybe mm. in the 90s and early thousands, I think. Yeah. Um, mm. He had a relatively good relationship with Margaret Thatcher, the UK Prime Minister in the 80s. Okay. Um, and he was quite tall. Oh, Nancy, Nancy Reagan, his wife. Yes, well, Nancy will be in this episode, but yeah. pretty much everything else you mentioned won't be. Oh, okay. Oh, no, he's an actor. You said that. That's in this episode. Uh, but we don't start with any of that. We are starting in 1911, Jamie. Wow, that's a while ago. It is a while ago. We're getting modern, but we're not starting modern. No. We're starting in 1911, and Jack and Nell Reagan have just had their second son in a rented apartment in Tampico, which is a town about 100 miles west of Chicago. Okay. So we're in, we're in Illinois here. Uh, little Ronnie Reagan was almost immediately given a nickname, 
when his father remarked, For such a little bit of a fat Dutchman, he makes a hell of a lot of noise, doesn't he? What? Yeah, that's what Jack said about his son. Probably and made from sense, this moment on, apparently, little Ronnie was called Dutch. Dutch. So yeah. That almost sounds like it could be a really cool nickname. It's yeah, like yeah. I mean, Butch and well, it's it's Derek. a name he much preferred. He hated oh. uh, being called Ronald, or especially Ronnie. Uh, no. Dutch, he thought, was a much more manly name. I hope he said this like when he was a baby. <laughs> yeah, I prefer Dutch. Parents obviously uh, really like nicknames because his older brother had a nickname as well. His older brother had a quite a round face, apparently. So <laughs> they called him Moon. Ah, oh, which just seems slightly mean. Yeah. Oh, look you've at Moon. You've got a moon face. Yeah, so Dutch lived with his parents and his brother Moon. Uh, the first six years of Dutch's life was one of movement. Yeah. As in physically moving around, not bowel movement, I assume. Uh, yeah. Uh, his father Jack was constantly attempting to better himself, uh, but he kept falling on hard times. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not having an easy time of it. They moved around five times in Illinois in, in six years. Wow. Uh, this included being in Chicago for a year, where his father got a job as a shoe salesman. Uh, yeah. So is this is this pre nineteen twenty nine? Yes, yes, we're still in the nineteen teens. Nineteen teens, nice. Yes, as they're known as. Yeah. Why are you asking before nineteen twenty nine? I just wondered if it was the crash of twenty nine did that impact his life? Oh, much? I see. Uh, you will find out yeah. soon. Yes. Um, so after several moves, they found themselves in a town called Dixon. This was a town of about eight thousand people. So small, not not tiny, but mm. it's a fairly small town. Uh, the family were poor, but so was everyone in Dixon, so Dutch didn't really notice that he came from a poor family, as most children don't. They're just busy being children. Yeah. When they were in Dixon, they rented increasingly small houses as their finances failed to improve, and the hard times drove Jack to the the old drink. Ah, good yeah. way to spend your money. Well, he wasn't a regular drinker, uh, so he didn't like waste all his money on drink. Okay. Uh, but when he did drink, he, he drank. He, he drank. <laughs> Yes. Uh, okay. This was one of the reasons for the many moves and him having to find new jobs, by the way. Oh. Uh, yes, sometimes he'd go on a, a bender and just not show up to work and get fired. Oh. Yeah, Brilliant. not great. Anyway, uh, by this time, Dutch is approaching nine years of age. He's moved around a lot, like I say, uh, which means that he's not managed to settle into a school or really make any firm friends. Uh, by the time his family moved to Dixon, he had already attended three separate schools, barely completing a year in each of them. Uh, fortunately for him, however, due to the fact that he was taught how to read by his mother at the fairly early age of five, uh, he could already read fluently, and he was promoted a grade like they do in America. That's pretty good. Yeah. You can so, read, you're clever. Go to the next yeah. class. Yes, he went up to grade three. He kind of yeah. skipped grade two, apparently. Uh, but in Dixon, he was able to remain for three years in one school, so he finally actually managed to settle down a little bit, make some friends, develop some interests, Jamie. What do you think he got up to? What did he like? Um, farming. Everyone seems to like farming. Um, <laughs> no. Sticks. Building uh, things. Woodwork. No. Um, no. Axe throwing. I mean, you can get this. This is a fairly obvious thing that he's going to be into. Acting? Yay, there we go. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Yes, sport and performance, so no. shall we say. Football, in particular, caught his attention, but he was a little young to be playing it properly. Um, but performing, oh, he could do that. His older brother, Moon, 
was uh, doing a reading at school uh, around this time. <laughs> Over the last of the people watching. Moon I'd like to think he, he was the moon. He was just <laughs> I am the covered moon. his face in whipped cream. Yeah. So, uh, not wanting to be left behind, nine-year-old Dutch put himself forward to do a reading as well. Damn it, if Moon's going to do it, I'm going to do it. Turns out, he had a natural talent for this. He left the stage to loud applause. Not quote Reagan here. I didn't know it then, but in a way, when I walked off stage that night, my life had changed. Oh. He enjoyed the applause. He yeah. enjoyed the limelight. The spotlight, all the lights. But it was not all fun and performances, though. Dutch, as he got older, was increasingly aware of his father's alcoholism. Yeah. Around the age of 11, he came home to find his father just passed out in front of the house in like a, a crucifix pose, apparently, just oh. on the floor. Um, yeah. Uh, no one else was around, so uh, little, little Dutch had to pick up his own father and like oh. drag him into the house. That's not fun. Not fun for a boy to do. No. Uh, he later recalled how this was the first time where he really realised that he's got responsibilities in life. <laughs> His father's drinking caused increasing tension in the house. Uh, Dutch later said he used to fear and look forward to things like Christmas because he never <laughs> really knew how they were going to pan out. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get the sherry. No, father. No. Yeah, yeah, things like that. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it seems like a fairly nice but poor childhood with yeah. a sort of sprinkling of alcoholism on top just to make things tense. Mm. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, he starts to develop more hobbies. Reading, this time. He, he really gets uh, obsessed with adventure novels. Possibly, Jamie. Pulp novels. Oh. Yes. Yeah. A reference to a Star Trek episode that me and Jamie recorded yesterday. Yes. Which probably, if you're listening to this when it comes out, that one won't be out yet. No. Um, but, uh, yeah, little yeah. tease for you there. Yeah. Anyway, um, yes, he was obsessed with adventure novels. Things like The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, The Last of Mohicans, and uh, Westerns. He loved a Western. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. Did he like dinosaurs uh, as well? Um, <laughs> you know what? I didn't come across the fact that he liked dinosaurs. Oh. I'll be honest, I don't know where the dinosaur came from. It, it, it surprised me as much as it did you <laughs> in that introduction. I, I was not thinking dinosaur, and then there it was. Yeah. 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 But yeah, uh, cowboys though. Yeah, he enjoyed those. However, he was struggling to read uh, because his eyesight was terrible. Oh, Really bad eyesight. Uh, his mother uh, lent him her glasses one day just to see what would happen, and an astonished Dutch saw the world swim into focus. That's oh. with someone else's glasses, so yeah. yeah. So once he had been fixed with his own glasses, he set out to go and watch westerns in the theatres with a new appreciation for them. It's like, oh, you're supposed to be able to see their faces. Oh, that's this what a horse looks like. <laughs> Not just a brown blob. Could cut their terrifying. <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah. by this time, Dutch was in Dixon High School. And his love for football overtook everything else at this point. He became very obsessed with football, a sport that became, and I quote, a matter of life and death for him. I hope, not literally. No. Death boy. No. <laughs> yes. However, unfortunately for Reagan, he, he was no Gerald Ford. He was not a great footballer. Uh, he loved playing, but he just didn't have the natural talent for it. He was often put on the bench or just didn't take part in the games at all, yeah. just sat on the sidelines, to begin with anyway. Um, so, uh, But he, apparently it didn't really get him down. He just enjoyed being part of it all. Yeah. 
Uh, however, he soon discovered a sport he was good at, and he did have a natural talent for, and he didn't need to see to do. Baseball? You, gotta see you, with the you ball. definitely need to be able to see yeah. to do baseball. Basketball? No. You need to be able to see where the hoop is. So what sport do you do that you don't need to sight for? Blind darts. Blind darts? No, it's not blind darts. No. It's swimming, Jamie. Oh, yeah. You've got to go in a straight line, haven't you? Go in a straight line. I was thinking, it's like, oh, you could do, like, running, but even then you need to kind of look where you're going, don't yeah. you? Watch out swimming. Pebbles. Swimming, you put your head down in the water and you go, and then yeah. you stop at the other end when you hit a yeah. wall, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Ow! So, uh, yeah, no, it turns out he's really good at swimming, so hmm. he swims. Not only was this a fun outlet for him, a hobby for him, it also got him a job. Yeah. Yes, because he became a lifeguard in a park three miles north of the town. This apparently was a lovely spot uh, where the river ran through it, and the locals developed a habit of swimming in Rock River. Ah. Yeah, unfortunately, they also developed a habit of drowning in Rock River. So he's a terrible lifeguard. Well, or no, no, this he's happened because before. Of... Right. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, too many people, too many people drowned whilst uh, swimming in the river. It yeah. had treacherous currents, apparently. <laughs> Which is lots of little raisins on yeah. the side. <laughs> Just pulling people under the water. No! Uh, <laughs> feed us! Feed us all! <laughs> so it was decided, I mean, I need to hire someone to chase away these treacherous currents. Yeah. And then maybe get in a lifeguard. Yeah. Uh, so... I don't know, let's go and check out the high school and let's get someone on the swim team to be a lifeguard, thought the town. So mm. Reagan gets the job. He was on call over the summer. Uh, he was on call for 12 hours a day, seven wow. days a week. So fairly full on. Yeah. But, oh, it had perks. Definitely had perks, this job. Uh, he did it for seven summers in a row. He loved this wow. job. He was paid essentially to hang out in the park where he was given as many burgers and root beers as he could eat and drink for oh. free. Yeah. He had all the opportunity to talk to all the girls who were there, sunbathing and swimming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for an adolescent, it was the dream job. It, he was yeah. hanging out in the park, eating, drinking and chatting up girls. Yeah, that does sound brilliant. Just the screams yeah. of somebody drowning in the background. <laughs> well, no, because actually he was also quite good at it. If yeah. we take the very basic job description of a lifeguard, how would you describe? Uh, in one sentence, what is the job of a lifeguard? Keep people safe. Yeah. Make sure no one drowns is what I put, yeah, but yeah, keep people yeah. safe. Yeah. I mean, he was excellent if you base it on that, because in seven years, no one drowned. Hey, brilliant. Hey. Yes, he performed 77 rescues, apparently. Oh, so 7.1 every year. Uh, yes. <laughs> Do you think it's that same person being rescued <laughs> yeah. one of a time yeah. each year? Yeah. <laughs> He'll add up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, this being a small town, the rescues uh, often made it into the local paper because there wasn't much to write about. So, boy saves man drowning. It's a story, isn't it? Yeah. So, he became a bit of a local hero, he did. Uh, I didn't harm that he was a good-looking, strapping all-American lad yeah. in his lifeguard suit and uh, with his fairly square chin and uh, saving people yeah. from, from the treacherous currents. So, yeah, it, by the end of high school, he was pretty much living the dream life by the sounds of things. Yeah. His uh, job as a lifeguard had got him a girlfriend. He was known around town. He was on the football team. He was involved in amateur dramatics. He was having a great time. He's the yeah. all-American boy. He, in fact, signed other students' yearbooks <laughs> at the end of high school with a line from a poem he had written himself. Oh, my goodness. Do you want goodness. to hear it? I don't know if I do. But oh. Go on, go on. 
remember, this is written by a teenager. Oh, no. It's going to be, like, Shakespearean, isn't it? No, 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 because, I mean, Reagan was many things, but he wasn't Wasn't Shakespearean. Okay. I'll just read it. (laughs) Life is just one grand sweet song, so start the music. Ugh. That's how happy his teen years were, Jamie. Teenagers aren't supposed to be happy. No, were no you like happy? That. No. Did you did you sign people's yearbooks with a quote no. like that? I cried right. on my own. Yeah, I didn't even sign anyone's yearbook. I just stared at them until they went away. Yeah. Yeah. Growled slightly. Grrr. Yeah, and I went home and painted my room black. <laughs> like my soul. Uh, yeah, no. Reagan, though. Oh, skip it around town, he is. I- Loving life. Yeah. Yes. He was described by one teacher as academically average, but, and I quote her, lifted out of the ordinary by extracurricular activities that taught him a lot of lessons about people, about what they want, what they think about life, and the problems they run into. So he was a people person. Yeah. So, with high school over, the next step is to think about college. Now, Reagan's family, not usual college goers. No. Reagan would, in fact, be the first member of his family to attend one if he was able to get in. But obviously the problem here is finance. Yes. How's he going to be able to get into college? Uh, not being academic, however, doesn't necessarily hold you back in America. No. As we've seen before, the Gosh, American school yes. system has developed by this time an attitude of, if you're good at sport, of course you can come to college. It's that whole yeah. scholarship thing, isn't it? Exactly. So, oh, is he a good enough swimmer to get in? He wondered. Mm. He's well, not saving people. He could be like... Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he was a good swimmer. Uh, was it good enough? Uh, he wanted to attend uh, a college with an amazing name. This was Eureka College. Oh, that's a great name for a college. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing, <laughs> isn't it? I haven't seen the sign, but I'm hoping there's an exclamation mark at the Oh, end. there has to be, yeah. And it's in quotation marks as well. And there's just lots of old men in bathrobes running around <gasps> the place. Yeah. Yeah. So he went and checked out Eureka College, and fortunately, they were willing to give him half a scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> so he didn't get a full one, but it no. was enough because then, if he got himself a job on the side, uh, he could afford the rest. Yeah. So he got himself a, a job washing dishes. This yeah. really sort of personifies that work hard, get reward for it, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's... He's working, he's getting rewards yeah. you can kind of see where his mm. philosophy might lead to later in life yes i mean the working hard so far has been him hanging around a sunny park yeah being given free food and drink yeah but it's working hard yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. washing dishes that's a that's a hard yeah. job i'll yeah. give him that yes uh, anyway so he gets into eureka Eureka, he said. Hey. Oh, 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 and everyone slapped their knees <laughs> because that joke never got old <laughs> Uh, so excited about getting in, he attended an illegal party. He got <gasps> blind drunk on Prohibition booze. Oh. Oh, yes. The hangover was so bad, he swore off alcohol for the rest of his college life. That's interesting. Also, yeah. how, aware, how aware was he of his dad's use of alcohol as well? Well, that is interesting because it's... Is it that he woke up with a hangover and then had a stern word with himself? I don't want to end up like my dad. Yeah. It's quite possible that that's mm. what it was. Um, now, uh, Dutch obviously drinks later on in life. 
Um, so he doesn't swear off alcohol forever. Uh, but apparently at this time he was cautious around it. But he, he didn't feel the need to do all the drinking. Eureka was a small college, uh, described by some as an academic backwater, oh. which is a shame. <laughs> but, but, but Eureka! <laughs> Uh, but, I mean, this uh, suited Dutch perfectly. He filled the campus with his personality. <laughs> he starred on the swimming team. He coached the swimming team for a while. He was on the baseball team, the track team. He edited the yearbook. He wrote for the student newspaper. He joined the student senate. He was the senior class president and the treasurer for the drama society. He got his mm. fingers in all the student pies. Um, he, he, he sounds almost annoying at this point, though. <laughs> Maybe it's jealousy, I don't know. But Well, I remember when we were at uni together, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. And I know that if we were at uni with Dutch, mm. we would have found that annoying, yes. Yes, yes. But maybe that's more a reflection on us than him. Possibly, yeah. Maybe. Because the only society we were part of was the us two drinking in the pub society. Yeah. It's a very good society. It was a very ex- exclusive. Yes. Very still ongoing as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so Dutch having a great time. One area, however, that was increasingly important to Dutch was acting. He still really enjoyed his acting. He mm. won an award when the college came second in a national acting competition. Mm. I really want to see what an acting competition looks like. <laughs> yeah, read, you think, read, read this line. I think it's going to be, you've got one minute to act. And then the next person has to out-act you. Yeah. And you have act-offs. To be or not to be. And to be or not to be. Half an hour later, it's just strobe lights. Yes. And dry ice and people screaming to be or not to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. Full answer. They swing again. in on a chandelier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, no, uh, Dutch, he did. He did well. He won an award and everything. He was advised to look into a career in acting, mm. which uh, to Dutch sounded very interesting, mm. but also a bit far-fetched. Yeah. He's he's in a backwater town in Illinois. I mean, how's yeah. he going to make money acting? It's a pipe dream. So he didn't really think too much of it. He graduates with mediocre grades. Mm. His talent for memorising information very quickly got him through exams rather than academic ability, hmm. uh, but that's fine. That's enough. Yeah. Um, so he sets out into the wide world to go and make something of himself. Yes. Just as the Great Depression hits. Ah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yes, it was therefore significantly harder for him to find work than he hoped. He applied to get a job working in the town's sporting goods store, uh, but got nowhere. Okay, he thought, uh, what shall I do, what shall I do? And he decided, ah, I'll use some of my connections. Because he had been teaching people how to swim to get a little bit of cash. And he happened to teach the daughters of a prominent businessman in Dixon. So he figured, I'll go and talk to this businessman and he can give me ideas, advice, job maybe, who knows. Oh, he wasn't given a job, but he was given advice. Go and find something depression-proof. Ah, so something that people need no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So yeah. something that you're not going to get rid of it. It's absolutely essential. Uh, like radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not <laughs> essential, but it was on the rise. It yeah. was doing very well despite the depression. It was a tough time to be alive, and 
one of the few forms of entertainment that was cheap enough was listening to the radio. So the yeah. radio was actually done quite well. And he was told, go and knock on doors of all the radio stations until you get a job sweeping the floor. And then work your way up. That's how you do it. Fair enough. Literally get in on the ground floor, work your way up. The kind of advice that kind of did actually work back then. Yeah, Like yeah. nowadays. Uh, so Dutch heads off to Chicago. That's where the major radio stations are in the state. Uh, he was armed only with his smile and a dose of optimism. And what followed was a montage of doors slamming in his face. Ah, Go away, kid. No, you've got no experience. Why on earth would we hire you? Uh, yeah. No, you're not sweeping our floors, you weirdo. Go away. <laughs> uh, one person did take some pity on him. They, he, they said, you're in the wrong place. You should probably go out into the sticks, find yourself a small town somewhere with a radio station, ask there. Fair you'll do point. better. Yeah. Okay, thinks uh, Dutch. Off he goes. He goes into the sticks, and uh, he struck gold. He literally. got bloody, bloody lucky. Not literally, but um, he knocked on a radio station. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the manager was sympathetic. He said, "I'm not hiring, but." You're clearly a keen young lad. How about you give an imaginary football broadcast? Just make it up and I'll see what you like. It's not a job interview. I don't have a job, but let's just see what you like, because I like the cut of your jib. Uh, And Dutch, with his acting skills, uh, was uh, more than happy to do this and really impressed the station owner. Enough that he was told, okay, come back next week. You can assist the guy who's doing the sport commentary right now. Nice. Yeah, so... Yeah, really managed to impress. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This was his in. Before long, he was given a job at the radio station. He was going to announce the staffing. So I'm assuming that means the up next. Yes. It is Baffling Susan. <laughs> so yeah, he's, uh, he's announcing people on the radio. Uh, his voice and his persona fitted the radio format perfectly. Nice. Had a good radio voice. So he does this for about a year, and then the radio station underwent a restructure, oh dear. as places tend to do. Uh, well, you say, oh dear, but Dutch actually did very well out of this. Hmm. He was given his dream job of being the sports announcer. Oh, no brilliant. longer just being the boring staffing announcer. No, yeah. he was now in there with all the sports stuff. Uh, the radio station had also grown, so within 12 months he was well-known throughout the Midwest as being the regional voice on sport. Ah. He'd become the sport expert. Uh, soon he was interviewing people, he was covering news stories, uh, as well as commentating on games. His acting skills really came in handy, Yeah, because the radio station soon realised that it was far more interesting for listeners if the person commenting on the game could actually see the game. Yeah. <laughs> but how it was being done at this time yeah. was via telegram with updates. Ooh. So, for example, in baseball, he would receive a pitch-by-pitch telegram on what had just happened. Yeah. Uh, and then it would just be like a line, strike three, and yeah. things like that. I know my baseball. <laughs> um, well, yeah, a Dutch didn't read them out like that. He acted as if he could see it. Oh. And, uh, yeah, he found that by 
shall we say, elaborating the few lines of information that he was given made for a much better radio show. So, yeah, soon he was just creating his own games, making them up. Now, these made-up games happened to follow the same score as the real one, Mm. uh, but there was a lot of... weren't so dramatic. Yeah, exactly. And he's heading to second base, and oh my gosh, there's a dinosaur on the pitch! Yeah, exactly, things like that. Yeah, Um, yeah, this is something that uh, Dutch really enjoyed doing. And like I say, he was was good at this. Uh, The telegram machine broke one day. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. That's a problem, because that, you can't just go, oh, the tele, we're pretending we're not using it. You can't Mm. just go, oh dear, I've I've gone blind, I can't see. Um, But no, Dutch... Dutch uses his improvisation skills. He simply made up a series of fouls and distractions, quite possibly a dinosaur, until the uh, machine was hastily fixed. Uh, and apparently the listeners were left none the wiser yeah. that he was not actually at the game. Nice. Which, uh, yeah, the magic of radio. Yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's having a great time. <laughs> his life so far seems pretty good, doesn't it? It does. I, I'm, I don't know if it's jealousy or whatever, but I mean, he's had yeah, a cushy could... life, essentially. Oh, he... Yeah, I mean, he didn't have a cushy start. We have no. had many presidents mm. who started at a very cushy starting place, mm. and he certainly didn't. But things are falling in yeah. into into line for him, and his family are also starting to do better. Um, his father, a lifelong Democrat, uh, was singing the praises of FDR, whose New Deal program uh, was helping families like the Reagans yeah. a lot. Uh, Dutch himself saw FDR as an excellent president who had saved his family. He also was a Democrat by this point. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. Um, we'll see when that changes. Yeah. But it's not all sunshine and roses and made-up sports commentary, uh, because his father suffers a heart attack around this time and can no longer work. Mm. Uh, so Dutch starts sending money home. But he's doing well enough by this point that he can actually afford it. Mm. For him, he's feeling pretty flush, which is good. He did want more, though. He did enjoy his job, but he felt like he could do more. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he wanted to act. He'd wanted to act for a while, but acting again, it seems like a pipe dream. And the only way to earn as much money as he was earning at the present time in acting was to be in Hollywood. Yeah. You, you couldn't act anywhere else and no. be paid money to do it. So that's what he's going to have to do. If he wants to follow his dream, he's got to go to Hollywood and become one of those people who goes to Hollywood to try and be an actor. Uh, however, he does have a little bit of an in, because uh, as he was interviewing people, he occasionally uh, interviewed someone from Hollywood, who happened to be passing through. Ah. Not like the big stars or no. anything, but someone who happened to be in Hollywood. Um, yeah. And uh, one time he was interviewing a woman uh, named Joy Hodges. She was a big band singer. That name sounds familiar, but I don't know if I'm just thinking it is or not. Oh, yeah. No, no. She's She was a, a fairly big name. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. And uh, she had an agent in Hollywood, and she took a liking to this young lad uh, with the square jaw and uh, a twinkle in his eye, and said, you know what, why don't I set you up with a meeting uh, with my agent in LA? Because the uh, agency that I'm part of are currently growing, and they need new talent. Uh, so uh, let's set something up. So wheels were put in motion, and the result was that Dutch was going to have a screen test for Warner Ooh. Brothers. Yeah, it just happens. <laughs> a bit like him... 
getting his lifeguard job yeah. and him getting the radio show. Uh, to be fair, he went knocking on doors for that yeah. one. I give him that. This one really does seem to just fall in his lap, though. Uh, he does the screen test for Warner Brothers. It did not go brilliantly, no. apparently. Uh, <laughs> apparently, his head looked too small. No. <laughs> yeah. Let's Which, try you uh, with a hat. Well, apparently later on in his acting career, they got specially made collars for him to make the size of his head look better. Oh. The magic of Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Just just lean towards the camera slightly. <laughs> yes. Uh, however, even though the screen test didn't go brilliantly, uh, like I say, luckily for Dutch, the studio was also going through an expansion. This was a time of expansion for Hollywood. Mm. Uh, and getting more talent on the, on the role was exactly what they were looking for. So you know what? Let's give the lad a go. He was offered a six-month contract, but then, through a little bit of negotiating mm-hmm. from his uh, new agent... Uh, he was offered a seven-year contract. Wow. Yeah, and just like that, he's got a contract with Warner Brothers in Hollywood, which uh, currently were the second biggest studio behind MGM. <sighs> so happy for him. <laughs> well, Dutch couldn't believe his luck. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Fine, Hollywood career has just fallen into my lap. Brilliant. Um, he was going to start off as a B-lister, obviously, uh, mm. but yeah, that will do. So he arrives in Los Angeles. Uh, Warner Brothers immediately gave him a makeover. <laughs> this was the golden age of Hollywood, after all. Studios took their investments very seriously. Yeah, of course. Uh, so this new employee, according to Jack Warner, like the Warner Brothers were still around at this point. Wow. Yeah, so Jack Warner thought that... Uh, Dutch had potential, mm. but he had to be improved. So to begin with, the look had to change. So he had a new hairstyle, uh, a new wardrobe to wear. Um, but more important than this was the name. Dutch. Dutch Reagan. And mm. it's not sound like a star, no. thought Jack Warner. No, we need something else. I mean, Dutch Reagan, it's as bad as Archibald Leach, he thought. <laughs> Which, uh, do you know who that is? No. That's Cary Grant. Oh. Or Marion Morrison. No. John Wayne. Marion? Yeah, Marion Morrison. Oh. Awful name. John yeah. Wayne. Much better. Um, so they start looking around for a name. But fortunately for all involved, uh, when the studio actually looked at Dutch's real name, they went, oh, hang on, that actually sounds pretty good. Ronald Reagan. Mm. Nice bit of alliteration there. Sounds right. You could say that along names like James Stewart, mm. Ronald Reagan. Yeah. James Stewart, by the way, is his real name. He didn't have to change his name either. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there you go. So uh, Dutch was gone. He was no longer known as Dutch. He was Ronald Reagan from this point on. And uh, the studio tried to make him look like a star. It's not easy to do, though. Uh, all the major studios were obviously trying to create stars. Stars brought in the money. Mm. But no one had figured out exactly what makes a star. No. Every time they discovered a star and they tried to emulate them, that next person didn't work. Everyone looks the and same. Then, yeah, and then someone would just come out of nowhere and then they'd be a star. So they were obsessed with trying to make stars and by micromanaging their actors' lives to make them seem as appealable as possible. So the hope is Ronald Reagan will be the next star. His first film was Love is on the Air. This was in 1937. 
Uh, and he acted what he knew. He played a radio personality. Yeah. 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 Who got caught up in a crime syndicate and there was love in the air and all sorts. Yeah. It was a cheap, cheerful film made quickly. Now, I am not going to go through all 53 films that he's acted in. Good. That would be silly. Yes. Um, <laughs> but just know, for the next three years, he was making around eight or nine films a year. Wow, they churned them out back then, didn't they? They churned them out, uh, especially these uh, B-movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, reaction to his films were optimistic to begin with, shall we say. He was seen as broad-shouldered with a contagious smile. Some criticised his acting as being a little bit wooden, but not everyone did. Others told their readers to literally flock to the theatres to, and I quote, beg, borrow, or steal a look at Ronald Reagan. So there were some signs that maybe maybe this lad would be a star. Uh, However, Ronald Reagan was struggling to adjust to life to LA. He didn't know anyone there. He struggled to make friends. He wasn't actually having the best time of it to begin with. Uh, But things then improved because some of his friends from college moved to the city, hearing that it was a land of opportunity. So there we go. He's got some friends now. And then things got even better when Reagan was able to save enough money to move his parents out west. Soon after that, his brother Moon turns up with his wife. So his, yeah, his whole family move out there with him and some of his friends have moved as well. That's good. So there you go. Sure, That's nice. Yes. Uh, So with his family and friends in the city, he was much happier. Uh, Apart from this, his social life, although exciting, was heavily dictated. Yeah. Yes. He had no shortages of dates with very attractive ladies, but only with the women that the studio approved of. Yes. He had an image to protect. Yeah. And uh, he couldn't just go off and do what he wanted. Uh, so when he started to get to know Susan Hayward, for example, uh, Jack Warner put a stop to it. No, no, no. Uh, Su- Susan Hayward is far too tough and confident for you. No. We don't want that as your image. That's not the look we're going for. So you're going to be a little bit annoyed if you're dating Susan Hayward. And yeah. I told you not allowed to. Uh, but... There you go. Anyway, his uh, day-to-day work life uh, continued and consisted of acting his way through B-movies that were rushed and mostly very poor quality. Uh, Studios, by the way, uh, in case you don't know, they were used um, to pad out the double features that were very popular at the time. Right. People would go and see two films, Hmm. not just one. I guess the films are a bit shorter then as well. Um, yeah, but also, I mean, what else are you going to do with your time back then? And the only way to see films was to go to a theatre, so you might as well make the most of it. Um, But the way that studios could do this cheaply and quickly is to have your big film, Mm. your A film, and then your B film, which Uh, is where we get B movies from. It was, it was like the other side of the record. Yeah. Everyone knew it wasn't going to be as good. It was a a warm up to the, the main act. Yeah. Uh, but they were also useful uh, because you could use them to test out talent. Yeah. See who impresses in the B movies, and then you can promote them up into the A League. Still, even so, if you were a lead actor for B movies in a leading studio, it's still unlikely you're going to make it to true stardom. No. I mean, you're you're close at that point, but it's not a guarantee at all. Uh, but Reagan had some luck. Hey, again! Oh, brilliant! 
Yes. I mean, that look has not let him down at all so far, has it? And amazingly, the leading movie columnist in Los Angeles was a woman who happened to have been born in Dixon, Illinois, that town of 8,000 people. This is ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> and once she found out that this young new actor had come to LA from her hometown, she took a personal interest in the fellow resident, and often mentioned Reagan in her column that had an estimated 20 million readers. Wow. Yeah. That's a big he reach. Got, he got lucky. Yeah. Uh, because of this... He was soon attending parties with the likes of Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, and Errol Flynn, huh. uh, who were also working for Warner Brothers at the time. Yeah. And obviously, Jack Warner was starting to notice this guy a bit more because he was in the newspapers a lot. Mm. So that was always going to be good, wasn't it? Um, and he also met someone else around this time on the film set of a film called Brother Rat. Uh, this was 21-year-old Jane Wyman. Jack Warner, you'll be pleased to know, mm. thought that Jane Wyman was a really good match for Ronald Reagan. Uh-huh. They'd make a good celebrity couple, so go ahead, I'll give you my blessing, he said. Uh, now, because of celebrity gossip columns, it's actually quite hard to pin down what the actual courtship of the two were like. There were plenty of stories, but it was all propaganda yeah. from Warner Brothers. Um, so we just don't really know. And there are some quite dark rumours. Uh, Apparently, to begin with, Reagan wasn't actually very interested at all and saw it very much as a job. Um, mm. Yeah. Jane Wyman, however, was very interested and very upset that she wasn't getting any affection back uh, and then took an overdose. Oh. Yes. Now, we don't know if that's true or not. Uh, I did try and find out, and you find places where it just states it as fact, but then I definitely found places where it's like, we don't know this because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's all gossip and everything's covered up. So, hmm. What we do know is that she was hospitalised at some point. Right. Uh, and Reagan visited her in the hospital and proposed there and then. <laughs> so, Where? who knows? Yeah, who knows? Uh, Warner Brothers put out that it was a stomach bug that she had, and that's why she was in hospital. Yeah. So mm. maybe it was that. Yeah. Uh, we don't know. Uh, what we do know, though, is they did get married in the end. Oh. Yes, they get married, and they both had a daughter. Yeah. They end up having two children, but... Just a daughter to begin with. Uh, the couple were then thrown into the publicity machine of Warner Brothers even more. Uh, they were portrayed as the ordinary family. That's what they were going for. Yeah. Look at these two. They're just like you. It's yeah. the American dream. Yeah. Yeah. How related. Ronald Reagan would be able to act the everyman in all the films. Yeah. Because he is just like you. Uh, interviews and photos appeared in magazines and newspapers. They were the upcoming Hollywood couple. A normal family. Living in the American dream. Uh, in reality, the two were making enough money that they could now afford a large seven-room house in the Hollywood Hills. Wow. Yeah. So uh, things are on the up and up. Yeah. Reagan's starting to break into the A-list films by this point. Okay. He was increasingly playing roles in bigger and bigger films, getting decent reviews. In one film, he played a footballer called Gip, or Jip. Didn't think to look up how to pronounce that. Yeah. G-I-P-P. Could be either. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this, his character is stricken with a fatal illness, and he has a deathbed scene. And he, yes, oh, he's able to act, and he uh, says the line to his coach to remind the rest of his team that they could just, and I quote here, win just one for the Gipper. 
or the chipper. Oh. I didn't actually uh, listen to it. Anyway, yeah. the reason why I'm telling you this is that this becomes a very famous line and Reagan uses it later life in his political uh, campaigns. Fair enough. Yeah, just, just, just let's win one for the Gipper slash chipper. I'm guessing it's Gipper. It's going to be Gipper, isn't it? In my head, it'd be like Jipper because it's easier to say. But who knows? It's Jipper. Who knows? I'm not going to look it up. No, no, nope. never. Nope. It'll be one of life's mysteries. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, he's he's doing well. He starred in a film with Errol Flynn at this point, so he's there wow. with the big names. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in the middle of all this, his father Jack has another heart attack. Oh. And this time it kills him. Yeah. Uh, Jack had not adjusted to life in Hollywood very well. Um, he had uh, started to work for his son, um, doing admin stuff, mm. and he did not enjoy working for his son. Uh, and he'd started drinking heavily, and uh, that took its toll on him, and in 1942 he dies. But Reagan has very little time to mourn, uh, because he's very busy. He made mm. seven more films the next year. His star was rising even more. Uh, by this point, a poll said one in four people would see a film just because he was in it. That's a good draw. Which was up from one in ten the previous year. That's the kind of thing that studio bosses sit up and take note of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it seems like this is it. Ronald Reagan is going to be the next big star in Hollywood. And we would remember him today in the same way that we remember John Wayne. Yeah, I guess so. Errol Flynn. Yeah. Uh, but then something happens that changes everything. It's the, it's the bloody World War, Jamie. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. America joined the war, Pearl Harbor happens, and his acting career just hits the, the reality of the war because he was called up to serve cool. uh, to begin with he was assigned to San Francisco where he worked loading troops loading troop transports destined to Australia Okay, he was doing that whilst they figured out what he was actually going to do basically yeah. so they test him physically and find that he can't see a thing <laughs> his eyesight is terrible yeah. there's no way you can actually go and join in the fighting you'll be shooting your own guys half the time <laughs> Right, okay, what else could you do? However, it turned out that someone in the military or the government uh, had actually been thinking, should we send all of our actors and directors and writers off to get shot? Could we do something more useful mm. with them? Maybe. Uh, yes, actually, we could. Let's create the first motion picture unit. And uh, <laughs> okay. this is what Reagan was assigned to. Okay. Yes, where they just acted out war. Oh, okay. It was great. I'm sure uh, the no. soldiers love that and I really appreciated that. <laughs> well, uh, in, this was over a thousand actors, scriptwriters, cameramen, directors, people who can make films, basically. Yeah. Uh, they were tasked with making short films to help the war effort. Okay. It's, yeah, it's a very sensible thing to do mm. with the talent that's there. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, the American Armed Forces had loads of very well-made training films for the servicemen. Uh, yeah. uh, they had films that would boost morale. Yeah. Um, they had, let's face it, propaganda yeah. Uh, yeah. that they could feed to the troops to keep them happy. I mean, it was a unit that was able to genuinely help the war effort, mm. but it also wasn't the hardest work. I mean, again, I would argue he's looked out. I mean, you really could say he's looked out here, yes. 
Uh, now, Reagan was not one of these uh, people who we have come across before who was desperate to go and prove themselves in the war. Uh, he was very happy staying in Hollywood, thank you very much. In <laughs> fact, he was very annoyed uh, that he couldn't just get on with his normal job yeah. uh, because he had taken a pay cut, yeah. quite a significant one. Uh, he was used to being paid for making some fairly popular films now, and then suddenly he's on a government salary. Um, yeah. But apart from that, things are definitely worse ways to spend the war. Um, Reagan starred in many of these films, as you can imagine. Uh, he had quite a fear of flying. Uh, really? But ironically, he appeared in quite a lot of uh, flying training films. <laughs> uh, obviously, he didn't actually have to fly. Um, no. But, yeah. Also, Jack Warner stepped in at this point. Uh, he used his clout to ensure Reagan never played an officer in any of the training films or the morale-boosting films. Is Remember, that because he's the everyman? The everyman. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He can't be an officer. Um, he's going to be the, the hero but soldier. <laughs> so, ultimately, it was a very easy war for Reagan. He saw nothing close to combat whatsoever. Like I say, he found the loss of income hard, but apart from that, it was all right. Yeah. Uh, he did, in later life, occasionally express some regret for the fact that he didn't actually go and see action, but it was more a sense of guilt that other people... Yeah. It, it wasn't a burning desire to go and prove himself fighting. Yeah. 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 Now, fortunately for him, whilst all this was going on, Jane's career was actually doing pretty well as well. Uh, so they have got some income coming in. Also, his mother got a job opening his fan mail. <laughs> so they were able to bring in money into the family that way. Uh, nice. So, yeah, they're, they're fine, but he's finding it frustrating. But then finally the war ends. Hey. And uh, Reagan is discharged from the military as a captain. He rose oh. to the rank of captain in the end. But he didn't want to be a captain. He wanted to be a major star in Hollywood. See what nice. I did there? Yeah, that's very close. Yeah, smooth, yeah. very smooth. Smooth, I thought yeah. so. Yeah, it's not even in my notes, I just kept no, to it's me. It's very good, very yeah, good. Yeah, it's yeah, really well good. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, he got a new contract with Warner Brothers. Uh, that initial seven years is up. Time for a new contract. A million dollar contract. Wow. Back then, ooh, that's a tasty contract. That is. Things are looking promising. I mean, before the war, he was right on the cusp of being, like, A-list celebrity. So, Warner Brothers, new contract, this is great. As he later wrote, All I wanted to do after the war was rest up a while, make love to my wife, and come up refreshed to do a better job in an ideal world. Fair enough. As it came out, I was disappointed in all three of these post-war ambitions. Ooh. <gasps> oh, no, Jamie. Ooh. Maybe his looks finally ran out. Yeah, finally. Let's see, shall we? Uh, <laughs> Reagan found himself increasingly frustrated with Warner Brothers. He wanted to be John Wayne, damn it. He wanted to be a cowboy. He wanted to be in Westerns. <laughs> Jack Warner did not see him as a cowboy. He did not see him in Westerns. I mean, he did do some Westerns, but he wasn't the star. And it's just really frustrating for Reagan um, because he kept being put in roles that he didn't particularly want to do and did not feel suited him. And the films he did do did not do very well. Mm. They were reviewed very poorly. And the studios start to lose faith that they actually have a star on their hands. Around this time, Jane, who was pregnant, gave birth prematurely. And uh, their child died Ooh. almost immediately. Okay. Reagan, however, wasn't there because he had developed pneumonia on set and was hospitalised himself. Ooh. Oh, no. 
yeah, it's a tough time. Yeah. Everything looked so good for a while, and suddenly everything's going to crap. So hard time for all the family, and the relationship didn't really recover from this. Gossip around town was that Jane was having an affair with one of her colleagues. Uh, Reagan had apparently just accepted this and said to someone at the time, Jane very much needs to have a fling and I intend to let her have it. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but the relationship was falling apart. Jane was fed up of her husband's growing obsession with politics. Ooh. Yes. Complaining to a friend that it was impossible to get through a meal without him going on a rant about politics. Uh, sure enough, Jane asked for a divorce in 1948. Aww. She got the children and half the house, as in half the, the money for the selling of the house, I assume, rather yeah. than just cut it down the middle. Reagan got the ranch and the horses that they now owned. Yeah. Because that's how well they're doing. They have ranches and horses now. Bloody so he gets the horses, she gets the children. Yeah. Reagan's not very happy at this point in his life. No. No. It's, it's about time is all I'm going to say. It's about time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not sure how how happy you will be uh, about depressed Reagan uh, because he is depressed. So what does he do? He just starts sleeping with lots of Hollywood stars. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough life being depressed as Ronald Reagan. It is. Yeah. I mean, even his, even his depression, he's still, I don't want to say winning, but... <laughs> Uh, Making yeah, the most I mean, out of a bad situation. Yeah, uh, apparently at this time he was dating anyone that he could, but preferably like the stars. Uh, but if he was working on set with someone, he'd be sleeping with them. Yeah. Uh, he, he got over Jane by working his way around Hollywood, basically. Yeah. For example, he dated the likes of Doris Day, Marilyn Monroe, oh, wow. Ava Gardner, Rhonda Fleming. Many, according to the gossip, he got to know quite well. Mm. Um, some of them he literally just dated, and that's all it was. Yeah. Uh, so we don't know the details. Um, mm. Don't really need to know the details, but just know he's uh, keeping himself occupied, shall we say. Yes. Uh, things get a bit creepy when he started <laughs> sleeping with his co-star of a film he was currently doing, which was a 19-year-old who was playing his daughter. Oh yeah, Reagan's thirty nine at this point, so it's like, oh, that's a little bit creepy, yeah, isn't it? Very creepy. But this post-divorce distraction was relatively short-lived. Uh, it's only lasted months. We're not talking years here, uh, because he found something fairly quickly to take up his time. Something that wasn't him just sleeping around Hollywood. Rather than be distracted with women, he was going to be distracted by politics. Hey. Yes. Now, as just mentioned, Reagan had already started to be interested in politics, but not in a large national way. This was a much more personal, how does it affect me sort of way. Yeah. Now, as we've seen, he came from a democratic family. He considered himself a liberal democrat uh, for most of his life. But after the war, a couple of things were going on in Hollywood that had a huge effect on him. Uh, one was the labour management disputes that was going on. And the other was the Red Scare. Ooh, the, the communist yes. thing. Yes, the McCarthyism. Now, already in with the right people, when the president of the Screen Actors Guild stepped down in 1947, Reagan took the job. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, the Screen Actors Guild, or the SAG, or the SAG, SAG yeah. now they call it the SAG. <laughs> That's a bad name. Uh, the SAG were a labour union for actors in Hollywood, yeah. just to be clear here. Still around now. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, now, at that time, it meant it was closely watched by the FBI, as <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah. The FBI were convinced that communists were attempting to gain control of the film industry and spread their leftist propaganda. So how did Reagan feel about this? Well, the fact that he was already known to the FBI as T-10, that's, by the way, is not a Terminator thing, it is a code for a confidential informant. Oh, so he's, he's basically grassing on everyone. Oh, yes. And that tells oh. you what you need to know about Ronald Reagan's uh, opinions on the Red Scare. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Let, let, let's backtrack a little, little bit here and figure out how this has happened. Reagan had, by this point, become obsessed with the idea that the damn commies were destroying the America that they had fought in the war to protect. He was very adamant about this. Now, I could get into the political ins and outs of the various guilds and unions of post-war Hollywood, but to be honest, it's very convoluted, just as complex as going through the whole nation's politics, and we don't have time to do that. So, no. in an attempt to simplify things, but with a warning this isn't the full picture, there was a big battle going on post-war in Hollywood between different unions over who would represent the workers in Hollywood. Not just the actors, yeah. everyone involved in the film industry. Now, some of these unions were seen as being in the pockets of the bosses. They might as well not be there. Some of the unions were seen as communist fronts. Some of the unions were seen as and literally were infested with links to organised crime. And all these different unions were battling for control. Striking and crossing of picket lines was getting very nasty, as some unions went on strike, others refused to join in. Yeah, it was... Yeah. A nasty time to be in Hollywood. Uh, in 1945, Hollywood Black Friday occurred, where tensions flared up and the police were called in um, and uh, proceeded to beat all the strikers. And, oh. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of violence going on. Now, again, to be clear, who is striking here are the craftsmen, the carpenters, the painters, the electricians. This isn't the actors. Mm. Uh, this time, Reagan was a member of the SAG. Mm -hmm. This is before he became president. And the SAG advised their members to cross the picket line. This isn't our fight. Yeah. This is their fight. Uh, Reagan, to begin with, had been very sympathetic to the CSU. That was the union striking. But over the last couple of years, after seeing rising violence and rumours of communists taking over the CSU, Reagan had firmly turned away from the strikers. By this point, Reagan was convinced that communists were here, everywhere, and they were attempting a takeover. He helped co-found a new labour union at this point that was there to work for its members' rights, mm. but mostly to keep the commies away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, not everyone in the SAG agreed with Reagan's way of thinking. Most supported the CSU and dismissed the communist talk as fear-mongering. Reagan got into heated discussions with fellow members over the subject. Then, he heard it through the grapevine that he was now on the CSU hit list. There was a rumour going around that someone was planning to throw acid in his face. Oh. Yeah. So Warner Brothers provided him with a gun, which uh, <laughs> Reagan kept with him at all times for seven months, just in wow. case the communists got him. Yeah. Yeah, this is how bad it got. Rampant paranoia. Yeah. Now, as we kind of covered in other episodes, yes, obviously, there were some people who were members of a communist party. Yeah. In Hollywood, but uh, most of this is definitely fear-mongering yeah. through the lens of history. We can tell that it's just mostly untrue. Yeah. But it felt very real to a lot of people back then, especially to Reagan, mm. who 
who was scared, uh, understandably. Yeah. Acid to the face is never going to be good. No. Uh, if you're an actor, that's also your career gun. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is uh, how Reagan became the largest anti-communist voice in the SAG. He was very vocal on the subject, and he was able to use this to get the votes in 1947 to become the president of the guild. Hmm. His actions in speaking out vocally against communists made him very popular with large portions of the SAG, because this was the faction that meant people would get to carry on working. Yeah. Uh, however, this signified the last time that Reagan would consider himself liberal or on the left. <laughs> right. By this point, he has just totally left that. He was still technically a Democrat, because mm. he had not... What do you call it? Because yeah, you register. Uh, unregister, that's what you call it. He's not unregistered as a Democrat, so he was technically still a Democrat, but he wasn't. No. Not in his heart anymore. Uh, the actions of the CSU had convinced him that the right was the only way to avoid a communist America. So once he became the president of the Guild, he enlisted as an FBI informer. Hmm. Soon after, the uh, McCarthy-inspired, shall we say, House Un-American Activities Committee, which we've come across before, uh, set up and started asking questions of Hollywood. Reagan was summoned to give testimony, uh, in which he told the committee that, yes, there were definitely communists in Hollywood. However, as far as he was aware, there were none in the SAG, and uh, even if there were, they definitely don't have power in the SAG. Mm. I'll make sure of that. Yeah. But, oh, yes, definitely commies yeah. in Hollywood. So, essentially, yes, yes, the Red uh, Scare is real, uh, but not, not in my house. <laughs> yeah. Now, despite fearing communists in Hollywood, Reagan was unhappy with the Un-American Committee. Yeah. Yeah, he saw it as letting the commies win. By allowing themselves as a country to fear the communists too much, they were stripping away their own freedoms. I mean, he kind of enabled that slightly. Yeah, a bit of an could hour argue that. For a while. However, soon after the blacklist was released, remember the blacklist? Uh, it was a list of names of people who worked in Hollywood who were no longer allowed to work in Hollywood oh. because they had affiliations yeah. with the wrong sort. As we've talked about before, this basically was a career hit list. Yeah. And if people in power wanted someone on the list, all you had to do was accuse someone else. And that was it. Their name was on the blacklist. It's like the, um, uh, what they call the treason trials in Roman times. Oh, yes, yes. It's very much uh, like that. Fortunately, these people were just like chased out of town and yeah. not allowed to work, which, I mean, that's a bad fortunately, but they weren't murdered. No. So yeah, that's good. Now, despite what Reagan has said earlier about freedom, uh, he did nothing to fight against these lists. His dislike for communism made it easy for him to hold his nose at the political persecution. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in more cheery news, however, he met his future wife at this point. Oh. This Nancy. Nancy Davis. Hey. Yes, this is Nancy. Nancy found herself potentially on the grey list. The grey list was a unofficial precursor to the blacklist. <laughs> Yeah, it meant your name was March. You could still get work, but not good work. And yeah. people were watching yeah. for any signs of being red. <laughs> um, now, uh, it, it took a lot less to get on the grey list than the black list. I mean, just the slightest ac accusation in the wrong gear, and that's it. However, Nancy was already well-connected within Hollywood. She easily could have got her name off the list using her connections, but she didn't do that. Yeah. Instead, she used it as an excuse to go and meet with Ronald Reagan, oh. someone she already had her eye on, mm -hmm. shall we say. 
Yes. And the two hit it off immediately. Uh, Nancy laughed at Reagan's jokes and enjoyed <laughs> hearing him talk about politics. So oh. already he liked her far more than he did Jane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, not boring uh, you. This is great. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the two started dating in a non-exclusive relationship. Uh, Reagan was hesitant to get more serious. Uh, we're only talking about a year after the divorce here. Yeah. So, but once Nancy joined the executive of the SAG, uh, they started working more closely together. And then she threatened to go to Broadway to get a career in theatre. And uh, it worked because Reagan went, no, don't do that. Let's actually get together, yeah. uh, which they do. And uh, he proposed and they wed in March of 1952. Oh. Yeah. Now, by this time, Reagan is a very different man than the one who had entered Hollywood just over a decade before. Mm. He had started as an aspiring actor with liberal beliefs and a passion for sport. Now he took his politics as seriously as anything else, and those politics had changed a lot. Uh, now, people are complex, aren't they, Jamie? Yeah. Yes. So they say. Well, who knows? It's hard to say, isn't mm. it? But let's let's hedge our bets and say people are complex. So it's impossible to state exactly why Reagan shifted from liberal to what for the time was considered the far right. Yeah. But let's, let's speculate, shall we? Uh, McCarthyism was definitely part of it. Uh, liberals had ties to the left, and the left had ties to communists. Yeah. I won't be having any of that, thank you very much. Uh, finance was also definitely a part of it. Growing up poor, Reagan had not changed his attitudes to money as he grew more wealthy. He was always careful with his money, and he deeply, deeply deeply resented the fact that he had to pay the top bracket of tax. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In his mind, he had worked very hard to be earning that much, and therefore it was a disgrace that he had to pay so much tax. Which, to be fair, I'm sure he had worked very hard. Mm. But it does imply that the people not in the top bracket don't work hard, and they yeah. definitely work hard as well. Yeah. So, But, yeah. That's a conversation for another time. Yes. Uh, anyway, other reasons why he was becoming more right-wing. Uh, partly, it's the company he kept. He was now in a friendship group in LA uh, who were almost all Republican, or at least held right-wing views. Uh, so he was in a bit of a, a political bubble. Yeah. And part of it was what he observed around him. Uh, for example, in 1949, so this is before marrying Nancy, he had gone to Britain to film The Beast Heart which uh, is just a film, we're not going to go into the film, apart from that, it was set in England. Uh, I believe he was a pilot. Uh, anyway, when he was filming, he was appalled at what he saw in Britain. <gasps> Absolutely shocked him. The Brits had got rid of the war hero prime minister yeah. and put in a socialist, Jamie. Yeah. Yes, this, this is Clement Attlee. Yeah. Yes. Now, in Reagan's view, oh, it showed that the Brits had gone socialist. The studio he was in kept having tea breaks and halting the filming for a start. <laughs> uh, the food over here was rationed. Uh, the infrastructure of the country was a mess. The buildings had, like, bricks just knocked out of them and all sorts. It was, <laughs> they just don't care. They just don't care. The country is a mess. Now, I don't know if anyone pointed out to him that Britain has, was recovering from the worst war in history. Mm. Uh, and yes, I know America were in that war as well, but it was, it was an away match for them. No. Yeah, <laughs> it was definitely uh, a home war in Britain. And uh, yeah, the country was in a mess. Uh, this was only a few years after the war. Reagan, however, didn't see it that way. He saw it as a clear sign that the left has destroyed the country. <laughs> 
uh, the government helping people had made them all lazy. One example that really annoyed him, the country could not even be bothered to getting good food anymore. The food there was awful. <laughs> yeah. So, he did what any sensible person would do. He ordered 12 steaks to be flown over from America. Right. Yeah. Only for the fridge in the hotel he was staying in to fail, ruining his steaks. <laughs> this would not have happened in a properly run country, he thought. <laughs> Yeah. This is quite funny. Incidentally, this is definitely where the stereotype of Britain has awful food comes from. It's is definitely it? Americans coming to Britain after the war. Yeah. And not realising. It's like, we've not always eaten like that. No. It's just after the war, yeah. the food was shockingly bad for quite yeah. some time. Because uh, the yeah. rationing went on in, even into the 50s, didn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So... Believe it or not, if you're listening in America, the food over here is not actually that bad. Yeah, it's anymore. pretty good. It's not not as sweet as American food. No, but our no. bread tastes like bread. Yeah, uh, we've got some damn good cheeses. Hey, we oh. make scotch in this country. Yeah, well, Scotland. Yeah, sort of this country. I mean, how long can you cider? Get? Yeah, Pro- all sorts of they good call stuff. It strong cider, but cider. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> getting sidetracked here. Uh, the fact is, Reagan, <laughs> Reagan saw Britain was absolutely horrified and decided that it was all Clement Attlee's fault. Yeah. Yeah. The NHS, by the way, had been up and running for a year at this point. Oh, my goodness. Reagan had no truck with that. Driven him mad. How dare you offer healthcare to people? Yes. (laughs) Anyway, uh, back home. Uh, He was trying to get his acting career back on track uh, still. It wasn't all about being uh, the president of the Screen Actors Guild. But this just wasn't working. Warner Brothers had gone cold on him. Uh, he was not the draw he once was. Um, so he was struggling there. But good news, Nancy gave birth to their first child, Yay. which is nice. But it doesn't pay you money, does it? Unless no. you sell your child. And that's very illegal. Yeah. So Reagan <laughs> attempts to figure out, how's he going to get paid? Um, I mean, ideally, become a big actor. Mm. Uh, but uh, to be honest, I just need to be paid. Uh, I want money. Uh, I can't keep up this Hollywood lifestyle unless I get a, a decent pace. So he starts looking at new studios. His contract with Warner Brothers was coming to a close, um, but there was very little interest. When his contract with Warner Brothers did end, there was no fanfare of his leaving. Mm. He just kind of left. Uh, so he was back doing B-movies to make a little bit of cash. It was all very depressing for him. Uh, and even that was failing. So he starts to do cigarette adverts for magazines. Ooh. Yeah, and then his uh, agency found a job for him uh, in Vegas, where he would appear on stage for 15 minutes a night doing a slightly slapstick thing. The money was better than doing B-movies, but all Reagan hated it. Oh, yeah. The the shame of singing so low. This isn't art. (laughs) No. I mean, he was being paid more than most people in the country were being paid for doing 15 minutes work a day, but... uh, he wasn't happy. No. Wasn't happy. He'd sunk low. But you're going to be very pleased, Jamie, because he got lucky. Oh, brilliant. This is Yay. great. It's I'm great, so happy. It? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, offered a job on television. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, Reagan had strongly resisted this for years, as had pretty much all movie stars. TV is a step backwards. Yeah. TV was seen almost as a form of radio back then. Yeah. It was, there was the film, and then there was radio and TV. Yeah. But he was desperate, and it would pay. And also, actually, television was coming on leaps and bounds, Mm. now we thought about it. Now, obviously, we're not in the modern era we're in now. 
big budget TV shows now are arguably bigger than big budget films. Yeah. So it was certainly not there, but it was on its first step. Mm. It was starting to be a bit better. It was enough for Reagan to convince himself that TV is actually a good move. So let's do it. And he became a host on an anthology TV show called General Electric Theatre. This was a show that was on every Sunday at 9pm, and it showed an adaptation of a novel or a play or a film. Um, and yeah, they just did something different each week. Yeah. So to keep continuity in the show, it was decided that they needed a host. And who better than Ronald Reagan? So in 1954, he starts hosting the show, uh, but he also acted in the show, not every week, but he did a fair bit of acting. Soon his salary was increased, and Reagan found the steady income was actually more than good enough to keep him in his lifestyle in Hollywood. Uh, but this isn't the reason why Reagan got lucky. That was just a job offer. Right. It was a good job offer. Yeah. That was great. But it's not why he got lucky. The reason why he got really lucky is because General Electric Theatre was owned by General Electric. General Electric is a multinational conglomerate which was in the electric business. We're talking power, electronics, television, radio, yeah. all that stuff. Huge, huge, huge company. Now, part of Reagan's contract was not that he would just host one of their TV shows and occasionally star in it, but he would also be the spokesperson for the company. Hmm. He would tour the country, meet all the employees in various plants and factories. So when he wasn't working on the show, he was touring America. In other words, without thinking of it in these terms at the time, because obviously he wouldn't, but Reagan was being paid to go on a campaigning tour. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, he wasn't campaigning for anything. No. But he was keeping morale up for General Electric. But Reagan, the political firebrand that he was, soon found that his political views aligned very much with the owners of General Electric. Hmm. And he was soon telling everyone he met in all the factories and all the plants around America about the virtues of America, freedom, and mainly the right to not have to pay too much tax. Yeah. Yeah. That part was very important to him. Yeah. Oh, and also, watch out for the dangers of big government and communists. So, just be aware, everyone. Look out. Now, by this time, he had become a full-on believer in American exceptionalism. Often in speeches he gave at this time, he talked of America's divinely ordained mission for the people to be free of tyranny and big government. He would hark back to Lincoln, talking about America being, and I quote here, the last best hope of man on earth. Uh, He was full-on preaching the word. The main message, however, was simple. In 1959, he was interviewed for a newspaper, and the headline was, Reagan sees loss of freedom through steady increase of tax. He had a little bit of an obsession about this. He does. He really does. Oh, incidentally, by the way, uh, Reagan, his agents, and his bosses figured out a way for Reagan to essentially stop paying his top band of tax at this time, because he was... Uh, paid a total of 25% of the eventual proceeds of each show that he did, but only a small fraction of the initial run. And for various tax reasons, this spreading out meant that he didn't go into the higher bracket, but he was still being paid the same amount. I can't claim to actually understand the ins and outs of that, but they found a loophole is all we need to know, so he wasn't actually paying the tax that he was bitterly, bitterly complaining (laughs) about. Um, Anyway, he was able to afford an even better house in Los Angeles, which is nice. It was stocked absolutely free with all of the latest gadgets that General Electric could provide. Here's a new TV. 
Yes. Here's electric they, back scratcher. They had to install a new wall in the house to hide all of the wires. Wow. Because <laughs> it, it was like the house of the future. Yeah. Uh, yes. So I'm afraid I can't do that, Ronald. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, not long after this, they were able to afford the construction of a large ranch house on a brand new ranch that they purchased. So, rich, famous, with a steady job he enjoyed, and a family, Reagan was happier than he'd been in years. Oh, brilliant. Gone were the really depressing days where he was sleeping with all the stars of Hollywood. Yeah. Everything was good again. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> By this time, his national tours, uh, where he was loudly telling everyone about the virtues of a strong right-wing government, had caught the attention of many politicians, as you can imagine. Uh, here was a relatively popular actor telling people that they should vote for us, said various people in halls of power. Uh, and with the election race between Nixon and JFK hotting up, it was not long until talks were being had. Reagan was more than happy to campaign for Nixon. He told Nixon's camp. It's like, yeah, oh. Say whatever you want me to say. I think Nixon is the right choice for America. However, the Nixon camp said, no, no, don't do that. No, you're still a registered Democrat. Ooh. It will be far, far uh, more damaging to Kennedy if you stay as a Democrat and just loudly talk about how awful Kennedy is. Mm-hmm. So, there we go. That's what he did. Well, that'll work. Uh, now, as we saw, uh, JFK squeezed through. It was a tight election, remember? Yeah. Uh, Reagan was angered by this. He genuinely thought the boy wonder was a danger. He privately, in a letter to Nixon, compared Kennedy to Karl Marx and Hitler. Yeah. In fact, I'll just read it to you, yeah. shall I? Yeah, yeah. Under the tousled boyish haircut is still the old Karl Marx, first launched a century ago. There is nothing new in the idea of government being big brother to us all. Hitler called his state socialism, and before that it was benevolent monarchy. So, I mean, not a direct comparison no, but, to Hitler there. Uh, but it's a direct one to Karl Marx, and it's certainly there. Um, in case you don't know if you're listening, there's an inaccuracy in this statement that I just need to point out. And this inaccuracy has led to a very popular misconception in modern times. Hitler did not push state socialism. No. He pushed national socialism. Yes. There is a difference. Yes. The Nationalist Party in Germany in the 20s deliberately changed its name to include the word socialism to appeal to left-leaning workers. Hitler apparently initially disliked this move, uh, didn't want the word in there, but then saw the benefits because it did draw some people in. Uh, the term national socialism was then pushed as an alternative to the increasingly popular state socialism and the increasingly powerful capitalism mm. that was on the rise throughout the world. What's interesting about this, though, is that either Reagan didn't understand this or simply refused to see the difference. It, this was a private letter, Yeah. to remind you. He is not a politician courting votes. So in other words, Reagan is a, a true believer here. Yeah, he really is, isn't he? He really thinks that Kennedy is is a danger to yeah. America. Yeah. It isn't someone courting votes. No. Not for very long, yeah. though. <laughs> well, no. Um, <laughs> as, as I was about to mention, uh, he obviously uh, was not particularly saddened to hear of JFK's assassination, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he and Nancy heard the news and then went off to a plan party for conservatives in Hollywood. Fair enough. So, yeah, which, I mean, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> JFK has obviously become a huge name that rings out in history, but 
it's not like everyone in the country would have stopped and wept. No. Um, Reagan certainly didn't. Uh, anyway, around this time, his contract with General Electric ended, and he got another job as a weekly host for a Western series. Hooray! Hey. Yay! Hey, it paid the bills. It wasn't amazing. <laughs> Uh, because by this time, Reagan had pretty much made up his mind. He knew what his true calling was. He was going to help fix the country he lived in. He was going to get to politics properly. So he finally did register as a Republican. He supported Nixon's campaign to become the Californian governor, which we covered. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years later, the general election was looming, and he threw his support behind Goldwater as the nominee for the GOP. Primaries here, the moderate was Rockefeller. Um, and Reagan came out swinging for the... Uh, the moderate Republican, calling him the false voice of Republicanism. Yeah. yeah. Goldwater then won the nomination. Now, Goldwater's on the right of the GOP. Yeah. Uh, Reagan very much approved of what he was saying, uh, but he also showed that he did have what it took uh, to be in politics, because as soon as Goldwater won the nomination, Reagan's rhetoric changed dramatically. Instead of attacking the moderates, like he was before, mm. in the GOP... Uh, he knew that the right would vote for his favoured candidate, so he started to appeal to the moderates. At one Goldwater fundraising event, he delivered a speech that received a standing ovation. Uh, it soon became very clear to many in the GOP, uh, especially the bigwigs, that this man here is actually better at delivering the message than Goldwater is. Ooh. Maybe someone we should keep an eye on. Yeah. So he, he just keeps delivering speeches, uh, helping out on the campaign. He compared the Democrats to Britain in the War of Independence. The election was an issue on, and I quote here, whether we believe in self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite group in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan ourselves. So Yeah, really does believe what I say. He's really passionate, isn't he? Oh, he is. Aggressively yeah. so. He is. He's a true believer. Yeah. Um, we mostly see politicians who are doing things to court votes. Yeah. Um, that's not what we're seeing with, no. with Reagan. But like I did say, he's, he's savvy enough to realise that he can't just say what he wants all the time. Mm. He does need to switch things up. Now, as we saw, Democrats are riding a high at this point. JFK's died. So that's obviously helped them mm. in the weird way that assassinations often do. But also uh, the Democrats push on civil rights, which at the time was seen as a good way to stop all the racial unrest that was going on. Um, because of all this, Johnson utterly destroyed Goldwater in the election. Reagan was frustrated. He decided, no, I need to stop campaigning for people and I need to throw my hat into the ring. If you want something done, do it yourself. <laughs> so he was going to run for the governorship of California. Wow. He hired a staff, he hired a campaign manager. Uh, it was quickly decided if Reagan was going to be big in politics, they had to hide the fact he was a divorcee with children from a previous marriage. Yeah, of course. Uh, which uh, really annoyed his eldest daughter. Yeah. Because she was heavily involved in the GOP, and she was told, no, you can't openly support your father. In fact, we want you to disappear. Oh. She had an argument with her father about this, who told her that there's no point in hiring someone to run a campaign if you weren't going to listen to their advice. Which, he's got a point, Yeah, but it's cold. Yeah, it's very cold. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Reagan then goes on tour. Uh, there was a problem right away. Reagan was on very firm ground with the big picture stuff. Yeah. Small government, low taxes. Mm. He could say that all day in ways that got people interested and fired up. 
but he had no idea on how state government worked oh. <laughs> at, at all. No, uh, he made a few blunders here where people asked him some very obvious and simple questions and he just didn't have a clue because he's never been into politics no. before, not state politics. Anyway, uh, so people were hired to provide uh, ring binders with easy-to-access information so he could quickly fill blanks in as, as quickly as possible. So he spent time genning up on how the state system worked. He was personally very hurt when he was criticised at the National Negro Republican Assembly for his opposition on the Civil Rights Act. He opposed it? Yes, he opposed the Civil Rights Act. Big government. That's government telling you what to do. Um, Feeling attacked, he stormed out, shouting, I resent the implication that there is any bigotry in my nature. Mm. Reagan truly believed he was not racist. He grew up, he had black friends when he was young. He can't be racist, (laughs) he thought in his head. He wasn't a bigot. He simply did not see it as the government's job to stop bigotry. Uh, that's, that's, it's that simple, he thought. Yeah. In fact, uh, during the campaign about a certain law in California about houses and who you can rent to, um, which I'm not going to go into because all you need to know is this quote. Uh, Reagan said, If an individual wants to discriminate against Negroes or others in selling or renting his home, he has a right to do so. Oh. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely a First Amendment advocate, isn't he? But... Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. Anyway, apart from this, it became very clear that he was going to be the GOP candidate. Uh, He managed to get the nominee fairly simply, uh, and he went up against the incumbent Democrat Pat Brown, who we've come across before, because that's who Nixon was uh, campaigning against. Hmm. So when he campaigned to be the the governor, Pat Brown knew what he was doing. He was a seasoned politician in the state. Brown leaned into the fact that Reagan was a right-wing extremist who didn't have a clue about politics. Reagan leaned into the fact that he was an outsider, and also, you've seen me in those films. I'm the everyman. Get a beer with me. So that's that's how they were framing uh, the narrative. Brown, however, then shot himself in the foot. Literally? Uh, No, Jamie. Never going to be literally. (laughs) One day it will. One day. Uh, No, um... (laughs) It's bad, though. Uh, when, on, when campaigning, he uh, went to a school and told a class of school children that he was running against an actor. He then said, and I quote, And you know who shot Lincoln, don't you? Oh! <laughs> yes! Yeah, that's a dodgy comparison. <laughs> oh, it's like, just no. <laughs> don't say that. I mean, considering this was coming from a, a veteran of, of politics, yeah. it's... Just such a stupid thing. It's to a say. very lazy, dumb attack. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just like you say, it's lazy. Uh, it really is. Uh, anyway, um, Reagan wins easily, not because of this quote for various things. Uh, the public wanted something new, something fresh. Yeah. With most of the post-depression and war problems fixed, the public of California was starting to see the government not as a safety net, but as holding them back from becoming rich and famous. I mean. If you're living in LA in particular, mm. why are you there? Yeah. You want to be rich and famous. So this was a message that Reagan was very successful in getting across. Vote me in and I'll make your lives better. Hmm. It was a simple message and it worked. In his inaugural speech, it was very light on the details, as you can imagine, but it was very big on words like freedom. Hmm. He liked the word freedom, did Reagan. Uh, he then started to get to grips with the state government, something he did not find easy. He knew Hollywood politics inside out. He knew all the minutiae about that because yeah. he'd been there for years. Uh, but this was like learning a new language. Yeah. Everything was different. 
Uh, meanwhile, Nancy was not happy. Uh, they'd moved into the rundown governor mansion. Mm. And she did not like it there for her or the kids. So instead, they rented a, a different mansion, a, a right. Tudor style mansion, apparently. Nice. Really lovely mansion, which was then bought for them by wealthy GOP donors. Of course. Just, yeah. just so they had somewhere to stay. Yeah. Good, good. 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 Uh, they couldn't anyway. possibly survive in that other mansion. Could no. They? No, definitely not. Uh, anyway, Reagan had figured out a way to deal with the fact he didn't know state government. And I'll quote him here. Set clear goals and appoint good people to help you achieve them. Yeah, delegate. He delegated. He was not a micromanager and he realised, well, I don't need to know the details here. I'll just hire, pe- hire people <laughs> who do and tell them to achieve things. It is a very good way of managing things. Yeah. I'm a big and... picture kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. So, he's governor. What's the first thing he's going to do, knowing what you know about Reagan? Uh, lower taxes. Close. Uh, he raised taxes with an increase higher than any other state in all of the United States. Why? <laughs> yeah, that's the first <laughs> question. But you're about to learn why Reagan is held in such high esteem by a lot of people. Okay. Right. This is the kind of clever move that Reagan becomes well known for. The problem is this. Pat Brown and the Democrats, had been, shall we say, creative with the finances hmm. of the state. Now, if the taxes continued the way they were, Pat Brown's administration figured that actually things will sort their way out. So it's fine. Yeah. We can be creative as long as we keep the taxes like this. Yeah. But obviously, then they lost the election, and uh, Reagan's in. And Reagan wanted to get rid of the high taxes. So how does he do it? So he decides on a plan. He would, as quickly as possible, blame Pat and then hike the taxes to an eye-watering level. Mm. And this had several benefits. Number one, it would plug the hole in the budget that the Democrats had left. Mm-hmm. Number two, he could blame it all on Pat. And three, and this was most important, it would, in his words, hurt people. Hurt people. Yes, he wanted people to associate taxes with economic pain. This way, if people said the word tax in future, they wouldn't think of services. They'd think of this pain right now. Very, very Pavlovian, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it it worked. Uh, A baffled and infuriated Californian Democratic Party watched as the public were taxed by the Republicans higher than the Democrats had ever dared to dream to do. And the public were blaming the Democrats <laughs> for it. For time reasons, uh, I'm not going to go into all the details of his governorship of California. Um, but just before we finish, here are four highlights we need to know that he did as governor before we end the episode. Uh, but that thing with the tax demonstrates how Reagan does things. Mm. Uh, he's, he's not afraid to just make decisions and go with them. Uh, so, four big things that happen. In 1968, he signed into law an act prohibiting the public from carrying firearms. Even open, like, even yeah, license. Yeah, it's uh, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Now, this was a reaction to the Black Panther group cop-watching. Right. It wasn't known as cop-watching back then, um, but basically groups of black men were carrying guns and following the police around to make sure they weren't up to bad stuff. 
And bearing in mind this is the LAPD in the 60s, they were probably up to some bad stuff. Oh, definitely. Uh, not only that, the Black Panthers were openly carrying guns and protesting in front of the assembly. Uh, the politicians got very nervous mm-hmm. about this, and wouldn't you believe it, a law was very swiftly put into place saying, nope, no more openly carrying these guns. Yes. Now, more to say about this later, mm. uh, but I just need to mention it now because this is an important step on the, uh, the road to the Second Amendment obsession that would soon infiltrate and overtake the GOP. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was starting to see that now. Uh, and interestingly, Reagan essentially brought in gun control. Yeah. Yeah. Something that he will deny later on, yeah. but we'll get to that in a future episode. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, around this time also, the mood in the country over the views of abortion was shifting. The obvious health benefits to legalizing abortion meant that it had bipartisan support in California. Everyone realized it was a sensible way to go. Uh, obviously, there were smaller pockets of very fierce resistance, yeah. however. Now, this is six years before Roe v. Wade. Reagan signs in the Therapeutic Abortion Act. So he legalizes abortion. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he was very personally unhappy about it, but the political winds kind of forced him into it. Yeah. This is something he would later really distance himself from. Yeah. A bit like the gun thing. Mm. So they're the major things that happen in his first term. He then wins his second term. Uh, things get a little bit more um, feisty, should we say, in the second term. He went to war with the students. Hey. Students were protesting the Vietnam War. Oh, yeah, yeah. Reagan was having no truck with this. They were disturbing the education of people who wanted to get educated. He basically saw the protesters as dangerous lefty communists (laughs) who would bring the country down if they were left to their own devices. He openly relished the idea of taking them on. Uh, He enjoyed the fact that they burnt effigies of him. Oh. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. saying that when a Berkeley student hangs up your effigy, it's a, a badge of honour. Uh, things like that. Uh, he said other things. I'll quote here, If it takes a bloodbath, let's get on with it. No more appeasement. He was uh, all, all out. Get the police in there. Smash some schools together. Uh, he called out the National Guard to the Berkeley campus. He shut the process down. Um, there was a lot of unrest over this. Mm. So that was going on. Um, and then finally, linking back to what I first talked about, tax. His Yay. main goal. Yeah. Yes. He announced in the second term that he was investigating how the government can now work for the tax giver, not the tax taker, for the Ooh. truly in need and not the lazy. In an internal memo to his staff, he wrote, This is our number one priority. I'm asking you to make available your best employees, including directors, for this all-out war on the tax taker. If we fail, no one will ever be able to try again. We have to succeed. Again, it's that very passionate language. The outcome of this was the Californian Welfare Reform Act of 71. The idea was that it would be much harder to get welfare support. But if you did get it, you got a little bit more. Okay. That was the idea. Uh, And the number of people on welfare did indeed drop. Although due to a natural drop in population by age at this time, this number is questioned. Mm. What isn't questioned, however, is that this was seen as proof from those on the right that small government was better for people. Yeah. Reagan was improving people's lives and getting the lazy people to stop being lazy. Yeah. So as Reagan decided not to run again, he was seen by most as a capable governor. Whether you agreed with him or not, he got some stuff done. Didn't go down in history as being one of the best governors of California, but he certainly wasn't the worst. Um, Yeah. But he's 
being governor now. So what's he going to do next? President? We'll have to find out oh, next time, Jamie, because okay. that is where we will end today. Yeah. Very interesting guy. Mm, yeah. Weirdly, obsessively passionate about certain things. Yeah. Don't think I like him. We have not come across anyone like him no. yet, have we? No. Because he's not I mean, just playing politics, he's a believer. I mean, I, I, I thought I would obviously be saying we've not had an episode like this before, because the guy was a movie star. Yeah. And that is unusual. Yeah. Um, so that made the episode different. But actually, that's not why I'm saying we've not had someone like him before. No. Um, unless maybe if you go back to the very early days where you did get some genuinely, like, impassioned, mm. really believed what they were saying about the politics stuff. And also his his shift to the right. I mean, obviously... It's a hell of a gear a, change, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's... Like, in real life, that would have been, like, a couple of decades, so it would have seemed much slower. Yeah. But uh, certainly doing it in this format, mm. he's suddenly swinging yeah. for the left, yeah. isn't he? And he hates the big government. And, um, yeah, so, well, we will have to see how he gets on next episode. Do mm. you think he will be a good president? I don't know, because, he, like you said, he's liked by so many people. Oh, he is considered one of the best presidents and if you're a conservative, I can I can see why. If you're a conservative, he is the best president. There we go. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, okay, you can obviously uh, debate that. But yeah. if um, yes, there's definitely a huge section of America mm. to this day sing Reagan's praises uh, all day. Uh, so we will have to see why. Yeah. Yes. Fascinating. Yes. But that is for next time. Um, thank you very much for listening. Quick announcement uh, before we go, although I did allude to this during the episode. Yes. We recorded yesterday our first ever Trek Totalis Rankium yes, we did. episode for our Patreon members. Uh, thank you very much to our Patreon me- uh, members who have been uh, very supportive and very patient whilst uh, mm. Uh, our output was disrupted somewhat, but we're able to shift up a little bit in gears again now. And um, yeah, we're doing a Star Trek yeah, series. We are. Not just that. Here's the exciting thing. I'm the one who doesn't know anything. Yeah. I haven't got a clue. I know, it's great. Jamie, Jamie is researching. He is uh, he is the, the, the main host. Yes. Um, delivering the information. He's editing the episodes. Yep. I... In other words, what I'm saying is that I've got nothing to do with this. Don't blame me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And please, please, please lower your expectations. <laughs> I really enjoyed recording the episode, actually. It was really good. Yeah. Um, so if you are one of our Patreons, um, that will be up soon. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to put a date in Jamie's mouth. Nope. Because, um, yeah. But I think be within, within the week, probably. Ah, oh, excellent. And if you're not one of our Patreons, then uh, just go to Patreon and put in Time Talus Rankium and you can join us that way. Uh, you would get access to all of our Senate episodes, which, if you like our Roman stuff, it's lots of Roman uh, Republic yep. people, uh, like Julius Caesar and Hannibal. Uh, not Hannibal. Uh, Scipio. Scipio. Uh, but also, we're about halfway through Alexander Hamilton's life yeah. as well. Multi-part series, that one. Yeah. So you'd have instant access to all of those if you join. Uh, right, I think that's just us plugging ourselves over. Yeah. Always weird plugging yourself. I also we're so amazing, comfortable. It's pretty good. Right. Okay, I think we can end it on that yeah. then. Yes. Great. Well, all that needs to be said then is goodbye. Goodbye. 
right. Great. Thank you. Let's uh, just take five to reposition the cameras. Everyone grab a quick cup of tea. Uh, back in five. What? A- another one? We've only been filming for 20 minutes in our fourth tea break. I'm sorry, Ronald, what's, what's the problem? This country, you're having tea breaks like every 20 minutes. It is ridiculous. It's the, it's the, we're repositioning the cameras. It's communism is what it is. I'm sorry? Communism, Marxism, socialism. Right, okay. Um, yes, I have heard you're quite passionate on set. Uh, anyway, um, five, five minutes, Ronald, and then we're, we're back on. Five minutes. And another thing. I'm sorry, what? The bloody food. It's disgusting. What, what is this? It's, it's a cheese sandwich, Ronald. It's socialism. The fall of your country. What about your prime minister? What? He didn't make the sandwich. This is what we fought against in the war. Ronald, the communists were on our side. What? This would not happen in America, damn it.